it's it's legal in this state. So, I Mark, guess. introduce us. And don't poke our mind. All right. Uh, who are we? Who are we? Welcome back to Failure, the podcast. This is Mark Thurman. I was the protagonist of our last saga, and gladly I'll just be uh, part of the panel. Ziad, who are we? We're not sure yet. We're uh, we're a podcast discussing failures. Okay, who's there? Yes. Uh, who are you? I'm sorry. We're, well, what's important is we're at Babson, Babson yeah. College. That's Yay. right. We love them. They're great. Um, we They gave us a conference room. They give us uh, space, coffee, and so we're, we want to thank them. And, uh, and then let me introduce also our guest. Yeah. Sam, how are you? I'm doing great. Sam, tell us, tell us who you are. Uh, I'm Sam Legiro. Oh I'm a professor at Tufts and uh, had worked at Polaroid for many, many years. Ah. How many? 32. Ah. So wait a minute. That's great. We're going to get into it, and you're going to tell us about Polaroid, and you also worked with Mark. I certainly did, with uh, Airprint Networks. Where, yeah, which was the uh, Did you hear that podcast, by the way? Did no. you hear the last podcast? I did You not. didn't. No. Episode oh, one. Episode one. one. So now you won't know what's going on. Maybe our one good one. It's actually good, because it'll clean room it. <laughs> Get his point of view. Okay, Ziad, who it's are you again? Prequel. What do you do? Just my name is Ziad Mukaber. I'm the CEO of Boston Harbor Angels. Okay, I'm. Uh, who am I? I'm Dave Pausner. I'm a partner over at Nutter in IT law, uh, and have had the pleasure of working with all of these gentlemen. Absolutely, in some setting. Okay, so failure. The podcast is about failures. Yes, but it's also about. It's not just about failures. It's about the fact that these entities that have failed, we can learn more about stuff. Even their operational stuff may not be appropriate for Polaroid, but we can learn more about their their life before failure than we might otherwise learn. And I think that's one of the premises. Failure is interesting. And see, what's that term, Schadenfreude? Failures, yes. yeah, yeah, Schadenfreude. Yeah. That's yeah. always interesting. It's interesting to learn how people fall and fail. But when you talk to a failure, like when we talk to, well, not failure. I'm sorry, Mark, <laughs> but it does come to mind. A failed. Failed. Effort. Effort. Or, yes. I'm still weeping. We can, we can learn more about the actual business itself because our theory is that uh, going concern, you may not get, maybe not the truth, but at least you're not going to get the details. Yeah. Absolutely. You're not going to get the operational details you might get from a company that's failed and is no longer an issue. Yeah. A fresh perspective is to look at failure as cycles of learning. Really. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. really what, what, what I, the way I look at failure. What have I learned from it? Yeah. 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 Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like, what is that thing about skiing? Well, Big company like Polaroid or a startup like Airprint Networks or just things in life. You know, yeah. There's a failure. What have I learned from it? What can you tell? So the audience right now are, let's see, there are four of us in the room. Your wife probably is not going to listen to this. So there's, there's three of us, and our wives will listen. So there's an My wife won't listen. Okay, she doesn't want to hear any more Mine of my will. voice. <laughs> One of my kids will listen, and your, your wife might. So, and we have a friend who will. So there are three or four people who are in the audience. Okay. Probably all of them know what Polaroid is, but there may be an occasional straggler who doesn't know what Polaroid sure. is. Can you tell us what was Polaroid? Sure. Polaroid was one of the great American companies that was founded by Dr. Edmund Land in the 1930s. And it was noted for its instant photography, although its original products uh, were polarizing sheet that's ubiquitous today, used in cell phones, watches, every place you can imagine, TV screens. Uh, that was Land's initial invention to come up with synthetic polarizing material. And from there, famously in the 1940s, when wow. he was on vacation, his daughter said when he took a picture with the then-conventional Kodak camera, 
Daddy, why can't I see the picture now? That then sparked uh, creativity beyond belief in his mind, where he could then, within a couple of hours, visualize an instant photographic system. About 15 years later, he then realized... This is in the mid-50s? This was in... The question was in the mid-early 40s. Yeah. And in the late 50s, uh-huh. actually the late 40, early 50s, the first Polaroid camera was, was introduced to the world in Boston. And it was a black and white system, actually a sepia system. Sepia, and, which means? Which means it's a brown tone as opposed to black and white. Yeah. More Yellowish, like orangey. Yeah, yeah, orange. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. We, we associate with old pictures. And it was a five-pound camera, almost a weapon, really. It was, uh, And I have one. It's a beautiful piece of engineering. Almost as large as Mark's brain. Oh, yeah, right. And uh, the way it worked is you take a picture, you, you make an exposure, and you'd uh, you'd then wait uh, a minute, and, and you actually would remove film from yeah. the camera, wait a minute, and then peel the so-called negative from the positive, and there you'd see the image. And it smelled great. It smelled great. It was fabulous. Yeah, yeah pyridine was the component in the in the. Uh, uh, the material that he's now used. he's now free to indicate that. To, to, oh, really? To, yeah. Secret yeah, yeah. substance to stabilize the image. Yeah. So it smells vaguely. If you had to think about it now, it smells vaguely like vinegar, but it was a nasty. Vaguely like vaguely. vinegar. So yeah. It's like Hundred. having your instantaneous dark room. I used yeah. to have a dark yes. room. Yes, it was. Yes, like it, was. Stop solution. yes it was. Yes. yes. And, and and the yes. thing to to keep in mind is that it actually was 1948 when this when this when this demonstration was done, and and at Jordan Marsh in Boston, the cameras were sold. And it was just a, a famous ma- old uh, department store. Right. Correct. Still around, I guess. It's a department store. Yep, Jordan Marsh. Yeah. And that was the beginning, really, of, of Polaroid Corporation and its uh, endeavor in instant photography. And from there, from there, uh, the company took off. And black and white systems, as opposed to sepia systems, emerged. And the first color system actually emerged in 1963. And the company at that time was not vertically integrated. It was a, it, uh, it did the R&D work under Land's direction, and then it, it contracted out to various companies to make film and to make hardware. And then the big play, once the company was successful and the darling of Wall Street, as it was. By the mid-60s or by 70s? The, by, no, it was, it was by the 60s. It was a darling of Wall Street, and the stock was very high, and Land was one of the most, was, was the third richest person in the United States at that time, I believe, Edwin Land. Hmm. Behind he, Bill Gates and... Uh, yeah, not quite. Bill Gates was a <laughs> gleam in his father's eye yes, at that time. Best, yeah. But, but uh, the, the real, the real uh, breakthrough came with the so-called SX-70 system, which was introduced oh, yes. in the early 70s, 1972. Yeah. Yeah. And when that was introduced, you have to recognize now, the SX-70 camera allowed the user to capture the image. You press a button, the image is captured. The film emerges from the camera and develops an ambient light. Uh, As you're yeah, looking at the right. image, it's, it's appearing. This was revolutionary the first time in 100 years that you could do this because photography had been around about 100 years. But now you're looking at the image as it's developing in ambient light. Land then ended up on the cover of both Time and Look. Yes, Look magazine. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, in 1972. And uh, uh, the company then was vertically integrated because the film was made, the battery pack that went into each 
a pack of film. That's right. Yeah, they were big was film manufactured packs, yeah. right here in, in Waltham, not far from here in uh-huh. Waltham, making Polaroid at that time the largest battery manufacturer in the world. Why? Because a hundred million packs of film were sold every year, and each one had a battery, a flat battery. Right. Why did Polaroid make the battery? Because no one else could. Hmm. So uh, now the interesting thing, the thing that made the history books, is that in 1976, Kodak introduced its version of SX-70. What was that called? It was called, the, the, the camera was called the handle, and it, was, it had a, a series of letters for the film. PR something. Yeah, right, and that didn't make it to market, is that right? Well, no, it did make it to market, and one week later, one week later, Polaroid files suit in Boston Federal Court for infringement of 12 patents, mm. gate film and four hardware, hmm. four camera. This is now 1976. Yeah. For 15 years, the case was litigated, 15 years, including appeals. In 1986, after, the, after a series of appeals, the court ruled in Polaroid's favor, issued an injunction, yeah. and Kodak had to get out of the market. They had oh, so they were, actually, they were in the market at they were, Oh, they were I in the market. At all. They were in the market and punishing Polaroid. With a handle. With the handle. Do you guys remember that at all? Well, there's, I was, I was going to cite a book that... I don't interrupt Sam, but I don't remember that darn thing at all. I do, but um, the thing I was going to say, and Sam had originally recommended this book called A Triumph of Genius, Edwin Land, Polaroid, and the Kodak Patent War by Ronald Feierstein, or Feierstein, Feierstein. Yeah, Michael Feierstein was, was a junior... Ronald. He was a junior attorney at the time for oh, yeah, Polaroid. I heard his name. And yeah. so he wrote, the, he wrote what really happened during this 15-year period. But just to, to complete okay, keep, the story. Yeah, yeah, sorry. So the yeah, handle, yeah, yeah some, some of the story. Yeah, because there were many versions yeah, not of, of, of Kodak. No, I'm, I'm enjoying the, the, story, the feedback yeah, before <laughs> before the, before <laughs> things go bad. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So, so, <laughs> He's always looking for the worst. So, yeah, yeah. so, so here we are. It's 19, getting close. 1986, okay, the injunction. Yeah. Kodak has to get out of the market. That, of course, was a tremendous boost for Polaroid because yeah. all those people that were using instant Kodak systems and wanted to continue uh, using instant systems now came to Polaroid. Yeah. So if you look at the record, you see a big spike in the Polaroid sales in 1986. Yeah, yeah. In 1991, five years later, yeah. the, the case was finally settled in terms of yeah. payment. Yeah. Kodak paid Polaroid $925 million. Which back then was a lot. Back then and today still is still yeah. the highest yeah. settlement in yeah. U.S. patent history. Almost a billion. About Almost a billion. billion. Okay. Kodak, Polaroid wanted triple damages but was unable to prove willful infringement. So it ended up with just the 925, which was yeah. not bad. Not, not, not yeah. bad. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. But what's Bill Gates worth? I keep coming back. To that. Right now? Right yeah. now? Right now. 70, 75 billion. Okay. Yeah. So, so. Put it in perspective. So, yeah. Yes. That's, that's the, the 925 million back then was it. Pocket. Yeah, no, back then it was, it was big. It was big. Yeah. Back then, probably Bill Gates was worth oh, uh, ten billion or twenty. Oh, really? Think? Yeah, yeah. Could have yeah. been. That's true. So, keep yeah. going. Keep going. Yeah. Okay. So okay. So now here we are. We're in. The, it's nineteen ninety one. Okay. Yep. Now one other little detail. In nineteen eighty eight, there was a takeover attempt of the company. That's right. Okay. Right. right, right, right. By Roy. By Roy Disney, you know, yeah. Walt's brother. Yeah. And it was a serious takeover attempt. And that time, at that time period, only two companies were able to fight off hostile takeovers, one of which was Polaroid. The way it, the way it fought off the takeover was through uh, an employee stock ownership plan. 
every employee had to yep. buy stock, okay? Yeah. This is now roughly in 1990. This was controversial. By the way, you were there at this point or no? Yes, I was there in 2002. Oh. So I started to accumulate stock. Yeah, as yeah. did all the other I'm sorry, employees. quickly, when did you start there? I started in 1970. Not, okay, not 1940. No. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who can't see, Sam has no. has slightly I, grayed hair. Right. Slightly <laughs> Let the record <laughs> show that I did not make that joke. <laughs> no, no, <right. laughs> For a change. For a change. And uh, 1970 was the year I was born. Oh, there really? You go. Yeah. Check, please. <laughs> <laughs> no. so, no, in 1970, uh, was I had just finished 10 years of education, undergraduate, oh. graduate, yeah. postdoc, yeah. and then I went to Polaroid. Oh. And what, what attracted me to Polaroid was, of course, Edwin Land and the whole atmosphere of the company because it was highly innovative, and that yeah. really attracted me. So, in any event, fast-forwarding... Yeah, I don't want to leave this one point. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to bury the lead here. One of the leads here is the employee stock ownership plan. Yeah, we'll come yeah, back we to that. that. Yeah. So, the employee stock ownership plan, I said, was controversial because people uh, across the company had to give up a pay increase, a 5% pay increase the year it was introduced, that is the year the stock ownership plan was introduced. On the other hand, management's position was, if you own something, you'll pay more attention to it. And so a program called Total Quality Ownership, TQO, was initiated at Polaroid to get the employees more involved, more engaged in what was going on in the company. I have a feeling, though, this sounds really detailed and uninteresting. It ends up being really important. No, but this is yes, part this is of really part, important. This is yes. part. Of this, when he'll come, keep this, going. This is part of. This is an element of the story arc. Oh, do yeah, you yeah, do, do you know the ending of the story? I do. do, you, do Mark knows everything. I, no, I don't know everything. I, just, I also know the ending of the story. <laughs> I don't. We all know. We all know the. I don't. This is fascinating. So please. Okay. Okay. So we have here. We are. I am just on the edge of my seat. Here we are. The hostile takeover attempt has has been thwarted. Yep. Okay. By Disney's brother. See, Disney's strategy was was very simple. In 1988, it wasn't known what the settlement would be. The 925 million was not known at that time. Disney was anticipating it would be big wanted to buy the company, break it up, maybe settle out of court with Kodak, and end up with a bag full of money, and Polaroid would disappear. Right. So Polaroid fought this off. And, and I'm, I'm skipping a lot of details on, on, on what went on during that know. time period. <laughs> but so this brings us into the 90s. So yep. the company now is TQO, Total Quantity. Total Quality Ownership. Yep. It's third CEO of four CEOs. Third CEO is Mac Booth, who oversaw this battle, okay? Yeah. Because Land was the first CEO. Bill McCune, who was with Land when he started the company, was the second CEO, an engineer. Third CEO was Mac Booth. Oh. Mac Booth remained CEO until 1995. Were there any sales at this point, or were they booming, or sales dwindling? were booming? No, oh, really? sales, sales okay. were sales were booming. So this was a hot property. This was a two billion at the time, a two billion dollar company, which was a lot. And sales were were going, you know, go, gradually going up, not explosively, yeah, okay. not exponentially. Yep, yep, okay. Yep, yep. And so, but now, what's 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 looming on the horizon in in nineteen roughly the nineteen ninety time period, of course digital imaging is looming. Yeah. And it's not that Polaroid had its head in the sand. Believe me, in the laboratories Polaroid had unbelievable activity going on in digital imaging. Well we'll get into that. Starting in nineteen eighty five. In fact we had something called the microelectronics lab that was right over by MIT. And we hired tons of people, many, many people, very talented digital scientists. And Mm. uh, uh, so 
Here we are now in the 90s. Here's digital imaging on the horizon. And so what do you do? Well, among the things that the company did was they introduced a system called Helios for medical imaging. Helios was an X-ray, digital X-ray yes. system. It gave beautiful, beautiful X-rays, high-resolution X-rays using digital technology. Ah. But it failed. It failed for a variety, variety of reasons that we'll, we can get into later if you're interested. So the company's fortunes by the mid-'90s were tenuous, okay? Yep. Yep. So... Still revenue, though. Still in revenue. Still, still positive, still revenue, still sales growing. The private equity vultures were not looming yet. Right. Okay. And so 1995 comes, and the company decides to hire an outsider, Gary DiCamillo, from Black & Decker. Ah. So Gary was the first outsider to come in as CEO in 1995, and he remained there until 2002. In theory, was us. consumer products. He was used to consumer products. Consumer so products. It, yes, right. he was. Consumer and this was a consumer product still. Exactly. Yeah. Now, the company at that time, and for most of its history, had half of its revenue coming from commercial products and half from consumer Consumer got all the glory because it had all the advertising. Meanwhile, the commercial was just silently, quietly, year after year, generating revenue and high profit because there's very little uh, investment in marketing the, the uh, industrial products. Okay. Okay. Describe, so, describe an industrial product. Yeah. Industrial product, in this uh, setting. for example, a, a, uh, a ID system. Okay. Yeah, 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 right. And, right. and, and you see, okay. a lot of the hardware was right. made by OEMs, original equipment manufacturers. Right. So Polaroid did not have to produce or a driver's the license system. What, or a driver's license system. What Polaroid would provide was the rollers, the rollers that went inside the OEM equipment, and the rollers were key because the dimensions of the rollers had to be very precise because that's the film went through the rollers, and that's where the reagent was applied right. to the film for successful developing. Right. So Polaroid would sell rollers to OEMs. They would then build the imaging system that would take Polaroid film. And there were 40 different Polaroid films at the time. You, right. you know, the consumer saw one or two different yeah, right, Polaroid right, films. Right, right. But if you went into any laboratory, government laboratory, you know, a company, police station, and so on. Research labs, scientists. Research laboratories, you would find. Studios, everything. Studios, yeah. professional studios. Remember that woman with a big, remember that, that woman Elsa, in Elsa Dorfman. Dorfman. Elsa Dorfman. Elsa Dorfman. How large was it? Did you ever hear this thing? The man of huge, huge. Elsa Dorfman. Even, oh, even Donald Trump would be okay. surprised. How large was El that thing? Elsa Dorfman had a 20 by 24 camera. There were six such Polaroid, cameras. Polaroid camera. Six yeah. such Polaroid cameras in the world. Okay. Ah. She had one of them, yeah. and the only place you can get the film, it had, it had to be custom-made, was from Polaroid, because this is a very large sheet, so, you know, 20 by 24, and the processing has to be very uniform. Perfect, yeah. Perfect. Because be she perfect. was charging a pretty penny, I assume, she for the... She was charging a pretty a, penny, and she yeah. had her, her, her studio in Cambridge. Yeah. You never heard of this? No. This is a big no. deal. Back, she was an NPR sponsor, or at least she was on yeah. NPR. This was like a big deal when I was uh, yeah. came out of college. You hear about Elsa Dorfman. Very big deal. By the way, what one sheet? I always wondered, what does one sheet of that cost? I'm sorry, this is way off track. But That's what, okay. would, no, what, sheet, what would that sheet cost? A sheet, a sheet of that actually would cost a manufacturer in the vicinity of ten dollars. Oh, that's all. Okay. No, that's that's all. Yeah. Oh, but because it was so just to because that. The, the sheets, the, the the film, the film was produced. In sixty-inch wide rolls, oh, you know, you know, yeah, thousands yeah, yeah. of feet long. So, yeah, okay, yeah, and so you then have to slit it up, and then it's it's the processing that had to be just right because the resolution was so high at that size that it, you know the slightest little defect would be visible. 
I just out of curiosity, just finish that quick yeah. story and we'll get back. What would she charge for a – she was a professional photographer. Yeah, I assume a good one. Several oh, that was not, okay. Yeah, it was reasonable. It wasn't like $10,000. You'd go and no. sit in there. Oh. She'd, she'd, okay. would, she'd get a picture. She'd sign it all the time. I have many ah. of them in my home. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, my children of me and so on. When the when the sales reps would come in, we'd take them there to be to get their portraits taken or the group group shot taken. Yeah. So we could hang it in the training center. Oh. So yeah. So that okay. was okay. okay. So go back. Go back. Yeah, so yeah, but, but you see that the Elsa Dorfman the Elsa Dorfman twenty by twenty four actually the origination of that format yeah. goes back to the mid seventies when Land wanted to go into the great museums of the world and make replicas. The idea being. That you, for example, yeah, yeah, you yeah. go to the Last Supper in Milan. Yep. The Last Supper in Milan was photographed with a very large format, eight eight feet by five feet, and multiple images ah. of the of the Last Supper. Um, many images in the Vatican. Many images in the MFA Museum of Fine Arts. The great museums of the world, the Armitage, the great museums of the world, all had masterpieces photographed. That's right. With an original oh, really? Polaroid replica system. Who was doing this for? Pardon me? Who was doing this all? The Polaroid was doing this. Uh, was a it a lost leader or were they making money? A lost leader, I guess. Well, it, it was, it was it probably, a, probably a lost leader because there was a lot of publicity. And, and Land had one of his right-hand people, John McCann, who was the, you know, the program manager. And, uh, uh, in fact, at the Museum of Fine Arts... It, in it was, Boston. The, the room was the camera. And they had, it was a Renoir, a great big, I can see the, the, the image in my mind's eye, one of Land's favorite. It was eight feet high by, by, I think, four or five feet wide. And when you look at the image, it looks like the original because it's so high resolution. There's no magnification. You see, it's one-to-one. -one. And so the, the true capability of Polaroid film was on display. There was no magnification necessary. It was one it's like an one. old pinhole camera. Yeah. Yeah. Pinhole camera. <clears throat> so, okay, also... We haven't had... gotten to failures yet. So no, now, no, but this, we'll is, this is a very... This I, is, thought, I thought you would die This is the foreplay. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this, this is the curve is go, still going up. I'm <laughs> yeah, waiting yeah, for yeah, the inflection point. Like failure. You can see the so, blood okay, on his teeth. So here we are now. We're, we're in the mid-90s. Gary DiCamillo has come on board. Mac okay. Booth is gone. Oh, Mac Booth from Black & Decker. Where's DiCamillo from? Black and Decker. Yeah, he's, oh, he's, no, the, he's, he's the Black and Decker. Mac Booth is lifetime Polaroid. Oh, I see. Good. So, yeah, yeah. so we now have got a... Gary DiCamillo comes in, and with him, many new people. Is he like the John Scully to uh, Apple, or is he was he better suited? Uh, Not quite analogous, I think. Yeah, okay. yeah. He's an outsider, it's so... A, from, he's an outsider. It's a controversial... Okay, so Scully topic. was controversial, controversial for Apple. But right, yeah. yeah. Now, is, is uh, Dr. Land still active at this point? No, Dr. Land was deceased, and uh -huh. he left Polaroid in 1980. He was forced out because of instant movies, which is a whole other story. Oh, that's one oh, of the yeah, failure yeah, stories yeah, yeah. we want to get yeah, to. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a whole yeah. other technical triumph of commercial failure. Yeah. Technical triumph. We can get into that if you wish, but yeah. Land was forced out in 1980. He went to to, uh, uh, to to form the Roland Institute, as it was called, and he, what he did for the last ten years of his life is he primarily studied vision, yep. because he had the retinex theory of vision, how the eye forms color. Okay, he's the one who proposed that retinex theory of color vision, and he spent the last ten ten years of his life basically working on that. Okay. okay? Okay. He, he was deceased in 1990, Dr. Land was. Okay. Okay, okay so go back to... Uh, mid-90s. Yeah, mid-90s. So, yeah. so now Gary DiCamillo comes in. Yeah. And what he wanted to do was revitalize the company, 
and he wanted to get into new markets. He wanted to extend the commercial, the consumer market. And uh, he wanted to, of course, preserve the commercial market. And so during this time period, during this 1995 to 2000 time period, digital imaging continued to evolve. Yeah. Cameras were starting to become available that actually worked, digital cameras, that actually gave you a reasonable resolution. Uh, and Polaroid's play at that time was to go to OEMs and use the Polaroid brand and have OEMs make a, quote, Polaroid digital camera. And for about two years in the late 90s, Polaroid was the number one provider of digital cameras in the United States. I owned one. Yeah. And they, they, they had a, a base, and then you put it on the base to charge. Yeah. Yep. There were, there were multiple embodiments. Uh, now, this is all great. The problem is that uh, the business model now starts to get stressed. Okay, because think about the business model up until now, which we haven't discussed. Right. The business model <laughs> up until now was the razor razor blade model. Fabulous model if you can pull it off. Okay. What that means is that you can sell your hardware even at a loss if you have to. And by the way, we were forced to during the Kodak Polaroid patent wars because Kodak was putting out low cost hardware that we had to match. However, you make the money on film. The margins on film were in the 60-70% range. So this razor razor blade model was very, very effective. Now suddenly you're into digital imaging with a digital camera. Well, here's the first problem. Where does the media stream come from? Okay, And Polaroid tried mightily to come up with ways to generate media from each digital device, whether it be a consumer digital camera or it be a commercial digital imaging system that might be attached to, say, a microscope, a scanning electron microscope. If you want hard copy, we would provide you with various imaging systems, okay? However, you could never really make up, you could never really make up the margins that you would get from a typical pack of Polaroid film. So we're now facing that problem. The, the other important date, just for the listening audience, is in the year 2000, the camera phone was introduced. Okay, yeah, so... So, so let, let me interrupt you and ask yeah, you a question. Sure. So are, are we at the inflection point? Are things still looking up, or are we starting now to... The curve is starting to go down, and the company is starting to understand that it, has a pro, it had a problem. Yeah. The, the curve hadn't gone down yet. When DiCamillo came in, the, in fact, uh, the, the sales were, as I recall, somewhere in the 2.3 billion range, annual okay. sales. Yep. But the gathering storm was happening. Yep. Okay? Digital imaging was coming. Yep. And Helios, which cost a lot of money, uh, was not the, the medical, The medical, the medical x-ray yep. system yep. Yep. was not succeeding in the marketplace. Yep. Okay? And so that was a, a, a big issue. You see... The way the business was set up, I mentioned earlier that half of it's commercial, half of it's consumer. Yep. When you lose commercial customers, <coughs> you're in deep trouble because commercial tr customers tend to be high-value customers. Yep. That is, it's not unusual to have a million-dollar account or a multi-million-dollar yeah, account. For many years. For many years. Yeah, that's a, good, that, that's a great lesson for any business. Exactly. And so once that starts to erode, you can't just make it up by more consumer 
products. You just you, you just can't. We couldn't, at least with the... And it's eroding because of digital imaging Correct. is taking place. Color printers are available, so some of those Correct. businesses can start printing their Correct. own stuff. The Got value it. proposition offered by digital systems compared to the existing Polaroid systems for commercial imaging was attractive. Yep. But on uh, the market had, on one side, HP doing printers, so now suddenly HP is becoming a competitor, and on the other side, digital uh, uh, cameras, Nikon and Canon, now suddenly those guys are also a competitor. So Polaroid was in between. Is that That's correct? correct? That's correct. You had, you had the traditional Japanese camera manufacturers that were all coming out with digital cameras, so they were, in a sense, competitors. Then you had you had HP, you had Canon, yeah, right. you had Brother, Epson. You, had, you had Epson that were the big inkjet uh, providers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you see, you have to think about inkjet because when inkjet first came out, okay, in the eighties. By the way, yeah. we toyed in that area. Yeah. The images were no good. That is, the images from inkjet uh, were low resolution. Yeah. And they true. disappeared very quickly. Uh, there was no image yeah, stability. Right. That was nineteen eighty five. Okay. Yeah. And we wanted to get in. Some of us wanted to get into the inkjet business because we had knowledge of dyes. We thought we could. We knew how to fix image stability problems. We knew how to get high resolution images. Management wasn't interested at that time in the in the mid to late 80s because the margins weren't there. This is a, a, I'm taking a page out of Christensen's Innovator's Dilemma here. Okay. Yep. So a number of us wanted to move in the direction of let's get some inkjet images. Okay. So what happened? You go back and you look. The, the image quality, the image quality of inkjet in that mid '80s, 1990 time period, was not acceptable for com consumer use. You would never take a portrait of somebody because you'd see uh, uh, red, yeah, green, blue. Yeah. But it was okay. It yeah. was okay for certain commercial applications, right? Like real, like real estate, or like insurance. And what the inkjet brought to the party was this new performance dimension that Silver Halide did not offer, flexibility and convenience. Mm. Silver Halide did not offer flexibility and convenience. Silver so Halide being uh, film. Polaroid film, yeah. Polaroid yep. or, or any yeah. film. Yep. Yep. You, you take a picture, it, the, the format's fixed, and now if you want to put it in a report, how do you do it? Well, you've got to paste it, cut it, paste it. Right. If you have an inkjet image that whose quality is good enough, whose quality is good enough, what you could then do with that inkjet image is now you can make it any size you want and embed it in the in the, in the right document. right. You can build the report around the image. But we lost the curve now. Oh. Where, where so, are we? So here we are. So now. So here and we by are. the way, for the, our listeners, that noise five minutes ago that was uh, David grabbing a muffin. Oh, that was the Live. muffin. Oh, but you didn't mention the noise power before cable. that. Power cable. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know, in the end, and we I was power. told I was supposed to be, you know, sit still. <laughs> I'd ask Mark to sneeze a few times, but he wouldn't. Yeah, okay. To complete the, the inkjet story and move on. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now time goes on. Yep. Image quality with inkjet gets better and better and better. HP and all the companies we've mentioned, Epson and so on, continue to make improvements. The muffin was good, by the way. Suddenly, it's good enough for co consumer use. Okay, would have been good. And then suddenly, the, the image quality, coupled with the convenience and flexibility, disrupts Silver Halide, whether it yeah, be yeah. Polaroid or whether it be actually Kodak. Yep. Okay. So now we're into we're into the, the, the late 90s, okay? The late 90s, 
suddenly we're starting to lose big pieces. And what's the revenue? What's the revenue roughly? The revenue yearly? now is starting to go down from 2.3. Rather than go up, it's going down. It's yeah. now starting to actually, it went below 2 billion. Just a second. Ziad, are you getting excited? So is this the inflection he's, point? He's dying to know. This is an inflection point. You can this, wait. No, but that's, point, I mean, the minutes. whole point of this podcast is yeah. also to try to identify when do things start to go bad? Yeah. And then if you go back in time, were there any indicators yeah. that things oh, were yeah. going to yeah. go yeah, bad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep so. Well, this all built in. You're hearing In the case of Polaroid, things happened very rapidly. Ah. Okay. But just uh, let, me, let, me, let me interject one other historical note. So Mark's, camera phones, yeah. Yeah. year 2000. De- the emergence of uh, commercialized desktop publishing by Apple was 1985. Yeah. Yeah. And that also speaks to the point of, you know, uh, again, you could uh, insert an image within a document more easily yeah, yeah, now and yeah. that the well, laser printers are getting but better. But Sam hasn't yet told us. We all think yeah, I know, I'm just trying to get there's so much going on behind yeah, yeah. the scenes. Right. We haven't even started yeah, talking Yeah, I mean, the it. internet is going. Yeah, we'll the, the, podcast the version Microsoft two. Publisher. Right, right, right. The internet is going. We're yeah, yeah. aware of it. Not only are we aware of it, but we're talking to online photo finishing companies with the with the idea of acquiring them because we knew we knew that eventually the party would be over we knew that people were going to switch to digital the question is how would we play you and blockbuster you and blockbuster video correct correct i mean in fact we sold we had a strong presence in the video market we were again through oems and our brand we sold millions Tens of millions of videotapes, blank videotapes, VHS, VHS throughout the '80s oh. and into the '90s, and we, it was a, it was a great publicity uh, campaign for us because in your home you would see you know on your TV Polaroid because oh. the spine would have right before the FBI it. warning. Pardon me. Right before the FBI warning on the videos. No, oh, this the FBI was on the warning physical, was on, on, on the, the fi- on the physical cassette. Yeah. On, on the physical oh. cassette. No, when they were playing the videos, it starts. Well, you, I you were watching different that. videos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a different podcast. So, okay. Yeah. So, so, so the so, 18, 18, so just remind us the the year 1998. This, this, is, this is 1998. So 1998, we're 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 now uh, getting digital cameras into the consumer market. Yep. We're losing big chunks of the commercial market yep. to digital. Yeah. Helios is not working for us. Okay. One of the markets we got into to try to breathe some life into the consumer market was the iZone camera. The iZone camera came from Japan. The idea came from Japan, oh. where kids were were uh, buying film that had st- that became stickers. That is, you could you could buy a film pack and you could stick it onto your uh, backpack or onto your books or locker or whatever. And so Polaroid came out with a with a twenty nine dollar camera called the iZone. It was approximately five inches long by maybe two inches, three inches wide by an inch high, and it took a, a pack of film made in Mexico for us uh, uh, that was a, uh, like a large postage stamp, and there were it was a ten pack. No emoji though. There were no, no emoji emojis, on no this. Emoji. That, that was where you lost out. No emojis. You needed emojis. And so for a couple of years, uh, this this generated a lot of revenue oh, really? and yeah. a lot of buzz and so on. But it was like a toy. In fact, I was quoted in the front page of the Wall Street Journal. I just used that uh, recently with one of my classes in 2002, saying just that. This is a toy. It's, it's a toy. And it's not a commercial market for you, it's, so it's, it's not, not okay. It's not sustainable. Yep. Not yep. sustainable. Yep. But, but the company was trying to keep 
to keep you know the the revenue flow uh, robust. So we're, it's 1988, Yeah, it's chewing his nails, by the way. Right, no, it's like it's like watching a, a <laughs> car crash in, yeah, in it's, slow it's, motion, it's, it's, and you want to know who survived yeah, and what happened. Now, now, now me, meanwhile, no survivors. Meanwhile, in 1998, 1999, <laughs> the still 1999 there. time period, yeah. sales are going down. Okay, yeah. market shares are eroding. Okay, yeah, not good. Company is starting now to sell off some of its properties, letting people go to try to make the numbers. It's because the beginning every of the crash. time you lose significant portions of instant film, you lose with that very significant portions of profit. But it's amazing how long this keeps going. But keep going. Well, yeah, I mean, it was, it's, it was a long car crash. It's a big company, reach. so they yeah. have a yeah. lot yeah. of yeah. And the brand. The brand, you know, they've been building the brand for sixty-five years. Yeah, look at Sears. And international, I should probably ask you also, you had the presence internationally, so the U.S. was ahead of the curve on the electronics camera, but probably the rest of the world were maybe five to ten years behind, so you're still selling Polaroid products there. Absolutely. Not only that, but in 1988, by the way, we opened up the Russian market. A group of us were over there in Russia, in Moscow and Dubna, and we opened up the Russian market, and for about five or six years... There was there was uh, probably two hundred million dollars of business coming out of Russia. Then what happened? Of course, gray market got in. They, it's, then right. it, it got complicated. But put that aside. That's all. Yeah. That's all about emails. Yeah. So okay. So here we are in the late nineties. It's clear we've got a problem. The company is is uh, uh, re- good, yeah. reducing. You know, it's it's staff. Uh, uh, it stopped paying a dividend like our friends at GE did yesterday. Cut, cut it in the, half. Cut the dividend. The dividend went away. The Polaroid stock value started to plummet. Now, mm. remember, employees, including this yes, one right yes, here. Yes, right. This is okay, the total quality assurance, whatever it was. Vested, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Heavily vested in stock. This is the going back to going back to the, the ESOP. Total quality ownership or going whatever Going back it was. to the ESOP because ah. every six months, every oh. employee would get another allocation ah. of stock. And this is, you're going to tell us, this is going to accelerate the decline. Correct. Ah. See, not only that, but but in the in the late in the late nineties, in order in order for the company under DiCamillo's leadership to show a, a, a unity with the management, the top. I was an officer of the company at the time. Hmm. We were asked to buy stock equal to at least one year's salary. Nice. Okay? And <laughs> mo- many of us did. Okay, and we were asked to do that because then that would show that the management has confidence in the stock. Well, guess what happened? To buy that quantity of stock, most of us don't have that kind of change in our pocket. So in comes uh, a, a Price Waterhouse or one, one of the uh, comp- like investment Dean companies. Like or something? Or- and they came in and offered us a loan at 7% interest Ooh. to buy the stock. And this, what year was this? This was 1998. Oh, so that's, that's As the ship was starting rate. to sink. Yeah. It was starting yeah. to stink. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, stink too. Stink, yeah. Stink, yeah. Stink. Okay. <laughs> stink hey, it's family, family friendly. friendly. So, <laughs> yeah. talk, talk about a, a Freudian slip. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So what happens? Okay, so so folks like me that have been there a long time, you know, yeah. we're we're fighting to keep the company. Yeah, mortgage board. your house for this. We well, you remortgage, remortgage. So a big yeah. a big loan. Okay. Oh my God. A year later, the stock is basically tanked. Yeah. And then, in two thousand one, actually October two thousand one, the company went to Chapter Eleven. One week later, those of us that had the loan got a love note saying you must pay back the loan in 30 days. The stock was now worth zero. 
Oh, boy. So, yeah, had to remortgage the house to pay back the loan because the intention was people like myself would sell the stock at some point and it would be higher than what we paid for it. But, of course, that didn't work. So the stock went to zero. We're stuck with a very large loan that we have to pay back. I feel like Ziad's going to tell us he was looking out the other window when the crash happened. Yeah. So what if is was there is there something you can point to that definitely did it, or was this just a slow, slow decline with a series of bad decisions all the way, or bad luck? Yeah. It's well. Let's see. <laughs> For me, I would say I would say that it was the the inability of the company to successfully change the business model. But could. Could you have? Yeah, sure. Be- sure. Because I think sure. that you were sure. stuck in a business sure. model that could sure. not change the paper, sure. the paper model. No, but Sam was doing all the research. Sam and no, his you, team no, was doing team. research. No, no. I, one thing I didn't mention, of course. Yeah, what were you in, doing? In, it's all your 19, fault. In 1998, my assignment, yeah. my assignment and the team of people that I had. 98 with only a few years to go. Well, I guess kind of like when yeah. did it, Hold on one yeah. second. Yeah. When did it end? It, it ended. It, it oh, chapter what? eleven was October of two thousand one. Two thousand. Okay. Is that the time? Two thousand and one. Oh yeah. So okay. just quickly, then the bankruptcy. What ha- what happened? They 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 tried to reorganize in bankruptcy. What happens? Obviously in, what happens in bankruptcy is this. In chapter eleven bankruptcy is this. One. For people like me, management people, uh, if you want to retain your retirement fund, you must resign and you can take the money. If you don't, the government takes over the retirement fund, the PBGC, Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. They then guarantee the pension plan up to a particular limit, which was like $45,000 a year. For most people, 90% of the people in the company, that was fine. Especially because, if you live in upstate because, New York. Because, but, yeah. they, because they, right. they, they wouldn't receive more than that in yeah. your pension. Yeah. For people like me that had been there a long time at a high level, that wasn't fine. It was no good. I had to, I had to resign. I had to resign in order to preserve my pension. I didn't, did I want to resign? Of course not. I had to resign. Okay? The other thing for people in, the man, in management to, to retain us in that 98, 99, 2000 time period, all kinds of incentives were offered. You stay. If you remain here, you get two years salary by such and such a date and so on. All of that disappeared. But they were oh. still trying to salvage the business. They the were business still trying to salvage the down. business. Yes. Everything, uh, uh, you see, in trying to salvage the business, and by the way, lo- including looking for buyers, by the way. Yep. And, of course, finding a buyer when you're in trouble, you know, good luck, because yeah, you know, they're going to wait. Sale. Okay. Yeah. It, it's going to be fire sale. So so, uh, uh, so what happened is, is, uh, is that property was sold, the dividends were cut, People were let go. Property being the uh, buildings, buildings, yeah, yeah, buildings. Substantial, all the equipment, everything. Substantial real yeah. estate around Substan- the Boston Substantial. area. Right, because you're trying to reorganize this thing and Co- try to, trying to figure out what to, the carve away to, everything but the, the business that you think you're, you're going to go forward with. You're trying to prevent Chapter 11, okay? That's what you're oh, trying to do. You're trying to, you're trying to prevent oh. it, okay? And okay. so for about two years before Chapter oh, before, 11, before, yeah. all these things were taking place, okay? And people, of course, were leaving. People were, if they could, if they were marketable, they were leaving. Yeah. Okay? But who would want to stay in a sinking ship, okay? Right. Okay. And so, and so, it's called, the, the company, it, it, suddenly the, the sales are no longer, no longer sufficient to keep the company going. Now, meanwhile, meanwhile, a group of us, including myself, had gone off and started 
trying to come up with a digital imaging system, which, by the way, we came up with. This is why you're while you're at Polaroid. Starting in 1998, you can look it up. It's called Opal. The system, yeah. the, the code name was Opal, and Onyx was the other. Yeah. And this was a, an, a, a, Opal was a color imaging system that was activated by light. And uh, it was activated by light, but it was developed by heat. Yeah. So you, you did not need dark rooms. You did not need all the chemicals. You did not need the, the processing fluid. We, that was all designed out. And it was, it was really a revolutionary system. And the quality of the images were equal to 35 millimeter silver halide mm, made by oh, Kodak. Beautiful, yeah. Problem was it ran out of runway. Problem was there's no more time. Ran out of chapter, so in Chapter 11, what happened? Because in theory, that project could have been funded. It was, yeah. Okay. So, here's, so in Chapter 11, what happened is this. Many people left. Many people left the company. For either if they were at a high enough level, they left to take their pension with them, or yep. they left because they were you know, discouraged. Okay. And so you're you're now left with a with a skeleton crew, basically. Okay, a skeleton crew of people that are managing what's left of the business, mm. and it's going down rapidly. Mm. Okay. Now, the Opal Group that I was in charge of at the time, when I when I left, this group remain independent and they had outside funding came in to continue the the company that this part of the company going it was called zinc Z, you know zero ink okay well no this is it well that, that so bankruptcy occurred um october october 2000 uh, i entered the scene as a consultant to polaroid in december right yeah. uh, two months after that uh working out of the wayland office um it was instant digital printing you know polaroid idp and then uh, Zinc didn't. Well, Zinc was sort of the marketing name for Onyx, and and also we'll come back to AirPrint emerged. The beginnings, the the gleam in the eye for AirPrint emerged in this time frame. So uh, for those of us down that listen to the other, so podcasts. I guess what we're so for context, um, and I'm I'm trying to be true to what I'm sure Ziad's thinking, which is how this might have been prevented, and the problem is prevented you, if this had started. 10 years earlier, yeah, not sure. 98. Yeah, it should have yeah. started in 88, but you said it was. Yeah. But we need to get back to that, yeah. but we're going to run but, out of but, time. And, and I think, happens. you know, I would suggest talking about some of the contributing factors. So you had the environment, you know, digital, the, the rise of digital, change in market, but you had, you know, internal contributing factors around uh, spending and management. One yeah. last thought, which would be obvious on the yeah. bankruptcy. Obviously, this failed, and in, in Chapter 11 must have ended without any successful reorganization, and the company they was were acquired, they were as acquired by no, a series no, of companies. No, the number oh. of things happened. It, yeah. it's so, so again, finish that up quickly. We, we, won't, we won't interrupt you. October, yeah. October 2001, we'll pull it into Chapter 11. Yeah. <coughs> then what typically happens in Chapter 11 cases is you get bottom fishers that come in. Okay, and they're going to try to buy the IP because it was IP. Yep. They're going to try to buy the brand because the brand had power yeah, around name. the world. Okay, yeah, so does. And so, yeah, and so at least three times the company was sold from 2000 uh, after 2001, including one guy forgotten his name. Petters. Petters. Yeah. Yeah. Petters yeah. 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 Remember that? Yeah. Ponzi remember scheme. that? Yeah. Petters was you know Petters. One rule in this podcast: don't bang on the table. Yeah. Pe pe uh, <laughs> <laughs> See, Petters. Not laughing. The yeah. only rule. <laughs> the only rule. <laughs> the only rule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pe uh, uh, Petters was the second buyer. There was a one yeah, equity partners Petters. was first. One equity partners was first. Is, they uh, bought it for it was it was it was disgraceful. Pittance. They bought it for you know they bought it for small money and and uh, made a lot of money in in the transaction. Really? Yeah, on the backs of employees that had been there many many years. Oof. And I and I, I find that 
disgusting, to yeah. be honest with you. But anyway, that happened. That's the way it works. And then, uh, and then Petters bought it, and then they, you know he had his problems, and then it was sold again to another group. And the and the, the brand actually uh, is is still out there. Yeah, yeah we, we we bought a, yeah. a little camera for my yeah. kids last yeah. year yeah. that yeah, yeah. Uh, did. Uh, yeah. uh, I don't know if it's if yeah. it's of any yeah. value. It's a to- yeah. maybe it's a, still a toy. Yeah, it's still, yeah exactly. They're, they're, so they're it's it's a branding company yeah. now. Yeah. So you know where they where it is today is you know branding company and you'll see the brand on different weird items. Okay, so you go to the con- consumer electronics show yeah. every year and you see this polaroid booth yeah. and you're like who the hell are these okay, people? Okay, so it's still around in some form. It's, yeah. a, it's around. Okay, yeah. so let's go back to yeah. with uh, I don't know if we have time limits there are no rules right, but yeah. we probably should yeah. pretend there's time limit. Um, go back to try to deconstruct not deconstruct but think about what could have changed when to have avoided this uh, yeah, disaster. Yeah, yeah, and okay. and would you have done anything differently yeah, now sure, looking yeah. back? Yeah, yeah, okay. So let's see. Probably nothing could have been done to, well, to change true. it. That's okay? too easy. Yeah. Why? Well, well, let's see. It's the same argument made for Kodak. Same argument been made. <laughs> Everything true. has a beginning, middle, and end, including technology, including categories, including companies. Okay. Hmm. And in my view, it just silver halide, instant silver halide, had run its course. Now, what could you have done? Well, taking that money but, and put it into something else. Potentially. Yeah. Potentially, you could have. You could have just blown up the company. You could have reduced the company, the expenses to next to nothing, and started an autonomous group. Okay, you see, the 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 the, the company's assets were all focused on something called instant photography, and you couldn't go in there and throw a switch, and all of a sudden, all those assets become digital assets. You can't do it. You couldn't, but there's, wasn't there a lot it. of, there were optics, there was knowledge of the markets, there were channels that had already been opened all. into all through the marketplace. That could have been capitalized on. So what, I guess what I would yeah, want to know, yeah. what was the, what are the inertial forces? There's inertia that keeps companies, the reason there's a beginning, what you call beginning, middle, middle, and end, end yeah. is because inertia seems to drive you yeah. towards one end when in theory you could, unfortunately, fire a bunch of people, I hate to say that, yeah. and, and yeah. redeploy assets. Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't that happen? Because you can't come up with a business model. You have to come up with a business model that works. You see? You can, Why you, can't you? Everyone hired Bain and everything else back then uh, to try to had, come up with a new model. We had McKenzie, Bain, you name it. We, we had more people. Were they telling you the right things? That, of course they were. Uh, well, I don't think so. McKenzie, for example, I can remember working with McKenzie for ten, almost 10 years. Don't say anything I, I, bad. I, say good things. No, no. McKenzie's a very talented group of people. But they were advising the company on Helios and other industrial digital products. And they were wrong. Okay? They were wrong. But but I, to answer your question, for me, I think, you 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 when you have assets, you know, you have there, there's a theory, Christensen's theory, RPV, resources, processes, and values. When you yep. look at a company, you can characterize it by its resources, things you can buy and sell. Yep. It's processes, manufacturing, hiring, uh, product development, okay? Yeah, also and, meta processes. And, and meta processes, which and its important. values, the, the, yep. the decisions. The, which the, very important here how also. How you make decisions, to, whether it's customer selection, whether it's business model, okay. Resources are easy to change. You can borrow money, you can hire people, easy to change. Meta processes can be applied Pro- in other markets. Processes and values are hard to change, not impossible but hard to change. But you wouldn't have wanted to change the values. The values were great. No, they weren't. They what, weren't oh. that great. No, no, they weren't. The, the, the business model and the, the margins that you had to make were, were too high for digital. They were too high. So you, you were stuck yeah. with against forces that 
I, I, it made me think of Blockbuster. It made me think of other companies that their fundamental uh, business is cannot pivot. Correct. And, and uh, the, the, the advent of the Internet and some other technologies basically uh, – and what you have to do is probably jump ship and sell the business before it starts going down. Well, how long were you there? 30 years? 32. Oh. Hmm. 32. See, so when you walk down the halls and you were in the C-suite, as you walk down the halls, could you see people rigidly stuck with the past or were there people in the C-suite who were trying to move this in another direction and it was uh, union base or something else that was preventing it from doing that? Okay. What kept – What was the? where was the inertia? Let me take each, each point you made. When I walked down the C-suite – one, the past was almost gone. Most of the, the old-timers, you know, I was an old-timer. Most everybody else in the C-suite were new people, many of whom knew beans, knew nothing about photography. They were brought in from other industries, okay, at the highest levels. Was that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, for me, it was a bad thing, Okay, a, ba a very bad thing, because they were making decisions that, in many instances, they were not qualified to make, in my view. But maybe they... Maybe they knew what was going on, and the old timers were stuck in the old technology. Except that's not the case. See, see, the the the, the, the old timers, the old timers knew what was going on in the marketplace. Yeah, you, you need you need to understand that as as far back as the mid '80s, with my own eyes, I I, I saw CCDs, charge couple devices, that had resolution so high that you could see the fibers on a dollar bill. Okay. The problem was, how do you take that technology and make money? That was the problem, okay? We could not come up with ways to make money with that technology. It did eventually happen, though, didn't it? It did eventually happen because companies point. start with the right RPV. You start with the right processes, the right values, and the right resources. Well, isn't that why you have a skunk, a, a, a skunk works within Polaroid, or did that not exist? That, was, uh, that was just digital printing. Yes, yeah, so, uh, yeah, skunk, skunk works were all over Polaroid, you, you know, just like 3M. Skunk works were around. What happened? Why didn't those work? The, Ran out of this, oxygen. The skunk works are great for technology. I mean, yeah, look, when, when you, technology is half the story. The other half is the business model. And, and it, companies like Polaroid had technology up the gazoo. And really, we had technology everywhere. What we didn't have was a working business model. Now, why is that? Well, maybe you get used to, you know, it's like a drug. Maybe you get used to 60% margins or 70% margins. And you can't break away. But that was the core problem. Was there a business model skunk units? I'm sorry. Let me ask that one question. I have question. a question. Okay. So, yeah. Okay, go ahead. What a, I mean, one solution would have been to acquire a company that would survive. So, for example, you go around and buy HP or Nikon or Canon. So mm -hmm. so you buy a company that then would survive and yours goes down and then you become yeah. them. Yeah, and that would have been great if we had the, if we had the money. You have to understand at this point we were, ble we were, we they, were hemorrhaging. They we, blew through the billion. We, yeah. That, that they'd gotten from the yeah. Kodak, from the yeah. Kodak settlement. Okay. So it's, it's important for the listener to keep that in mind. They had a billion dollars burning a hole. Which was roughly pocket. a half a year's revenue. Half a year's revenue. You know, or Though you know, this one money, but, revenue. but this was revenue that came in without uh, additional costs. So well, there was yeah. a, a fair hefty legal cost, well, it was, but it was. Oh, yeah. The money was invested. A lot of it was invested. Again, with the guidance of outside consultants in the projects that I've already referred to in, in Helios. And then there was a graphic arts project also. Right. That's where, I mean, that's where the money was invested and also invested into building a, 
uh, electronics center, not building it, but, but to sustain the electronics center, the microelectronics center. So did you get your question answered? Because I want to after my Yes, I'm trying to figure out. So, so the answer, and, and before we end the podcast, it the, seems that this is yeah, one yeah. of those stories that could have not been avoided. You can't, no. the, the, the failure of the company cannot have been avoided unless you made a dramatic move of much earlier and the signs were not there in the mid-80s to early 90s. Yeah, I, I, would, I would say this. I would, I would agree with what you said. Uh, I never want to close the door completely, David, on, on uh, being able to resurrect the company. It's just the probability was so low, okay? Now, what, what's the basis of my saying this? Well, Fuji was in the film business, okay? Fuji's still around today. Yeah. Fuji took their chemical business, and they, among other things, they went into the cosmetics business, and they went into the electronics business successfully. So they were able to pivot, perhaps pivot, maybe we use a different term, and they're still around, okay? Kodak was unable to do it. Agfa was unable to do it. Polaroid was unable to do it. Let me go back. The thing that's bothering me is the skunk works sound like they work. That worked for sometimes, Polaroid. Sometimes. Okay. Well, if you have enough of them going, one of them is going to get. Well, we don't know which one's going to get to the right technology, the right time, and everything else. So it sounds like Skunk Works can work for technology. If 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 they can work when things are going well, but you see, when you're when you're when you're losing money or your your sales aren't there, and you start cutting people. Skunk works aren't going to go away. I agree. So what, yeah, I, what so I get to was that well. I'm, 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 there's one thread, yeah. which was the, the yeah. notion that skunk works are for technology. And you, the, what you were, were about to say was skunk works don't work for business models. Correct. So are there were there not efforts, skunk works like, like efforts going on with respect to business models? Or what was it that kept the business side from advancing as much or at least exploring advancing as much as um, it, with a Skunk Works-like project, as was happening on the technology side. When you talk about Skunk Works, it's rare that you talk about Skunk Works for business business models. Why? Skunk work, Why? Well, well, because Skunk Works basically are usually technology-based, okay? Yeah. So when you talk about business models, that's usually a strategy group that's looking ahead, for example, a planning group. It's not, it's not you don't have... You know, perhaps you could have a, b a bunch of financial people idea. that are. It's hard. It's yeah. hard. Why? 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 And by the way, D David is a lawyer, so. Yeah. <laughs> what does that have to do with it? <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> he also has a physics degree. <laughs> yeah. So wait a minute. So what, so why doesn't that work? Why? What do, is is the skunk works on the business side known as something else? Is that known as uh, splitting it's, it's off no, a, it's known a, as a sub? <laughs> no, you see, no, 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 no. Maybe this, it is. This is fund fundamental to this, this is a fundamental to business issue in my view. When you're working on on a new technology to serve a market. You really don't know if it's going to serve that market successfully or not until Correct. you try it. You try it, you then pivot in today's terminology. Correct, and you have five skunk works going, hope and, one and, pivots and, properly. But you keep trying and you yeah. keep trying until you find ways you're going to make money, and then you, and you develop your business model. Now, you can predict what the business model is going to be, okay, and test it, and, but that's the way it's normally done. So you, you need to have something you can bring to the marketplace and test it with real customers. That's the way it normally is. Yeah, done. and all this takes time. It takes time. It takes time. Takes and money. Nobody wants to invest the time and money. Exactly, and, and because they have they have they have pensions to feed. They have existing yeah. customer bases to feed. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a very. Depressing but also, picture. they have employees that are jumping ship. So yeah, exactly. yeah. the brains are leaving. And, and management yeah. mind share. So you need to start your new company right as your other companies just started itself. Management mindshare is, is in a different place. Management mindshare is on survival, isn't it? 
Well, they're trying to maximize the stock value, so they're taking the good thing they've that's already been discovered. Or, or stop the bleeding. Or well, that, the I'm, bleeding. I'm taking you very right. early on. My theory was you start yeah. the skunk works on day one. Hey, we just got the company. We just got our first investment. Let's start our second company. No, yeah. no, no. Yeah. Don't do no, that. No. Well, yeah. you know, it's it's. but the interesting thing is, you know, again, for the, for your listeners here. All three of them. There, uh, five, all maybe. five of us, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll listen to a few uh, thousands. Uh, there, there, there are, you know, there are companies. There are companies that have lasted, uh, you know, a hundred, two hundred years, and they have managed to reinvent themselves. You know, Corning comes to mind. Oh, Sixty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They've managed. You know, they've managed to reinvent themselves. GE will see. They're one hundred twenty-five years old, but right now, you know, it's. But you, we don't know. We, we don't, don't know. We don't know. They're, they're certainly carving see, off. We're running out of time, so yeah. I have my yeah, last, my yeah, last right. question. Yeah, please. So the founder left in 1980. Yes. And he then was pushed out the door. Was So I want to ask you, what was the impact on the founder leaving? Because he doesn't seem to have left a vision yeah. other than the photography or instant photography, as opposed to Steve Jobs or or some other companies where the founder left a vision that goes beyond the actual uh, process. Steve Jobs didn't get kicked out. He did. Did he get kicked out? No. Initially. No, that was But then he came back. Then he came back. And so so I wonder if... um, Did Land get kicked out? Yes, he he was forced out. Why? He was forced out because he was a strong advocate of Polavision. He wanted instant movies, and the board of directors and others did not. Were they correct or not? Who was correct? It turns out that they were correct because video came on. Video came on. It came on, and uh, instant movies were... Bypassed. What was that? Video killed the radio star? Video that certainly killed Polavision. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. The video killed but, but the, other, like the other comment <laughs> as we're, we're yeah. ending this podcast is yeah, that yeah. startups, you just confirmed after an hour that there is, a, there is a place for startups in this world because large companies sometimes cannot because of their they fabric neither pivot or reinvent themselves. I'm not saying all of them, but many. Today, today, I think today, what happens with most companies, with, with the knowledge that's out there from failures, okay, learning from failures, most companies today, certainly the companies we read about, when they have something dramatically new or they want to, they want to, they want to go in a different direction, they will have an independent unit, a tiger team, an autonomous team that goes off and does something, so that if. If anyone is going to disrupt that company, it's going to be themselves. That's and that's that's what they. So do. what we need is not. No, I'm sorry, we don't need this. Um, but a thought is, it sounds like the inertia that I was driving at before. The inertia comes from the investors. It comes from the stock market investors. So you've got the current C-suite trying to satisfy current stock market and investor needs, and board meetings do that as well. If you if that weren't there, and we need that, we need investors, we need stock market and all that, but if that weren't there and it was only the C-level officers who were getting uh, money on a daily, monthly, yearly basis as they pivoted and did better and better, you could avoid, you could pivot more quickly. Well, that's the Dell theory. So Dell, uh, you know, was public. Then Michael? He took it. He took it private, yes, and yes. now they acquired EMC. You beat me to it. Yeah, so yeah. That, that's that, one that way to, to pivot. Well, it's working out quite well right now, and I'm assuming I'm an once... Apple guy, so I missed out. No, 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 but it's, yeah. a, it's, it's a, again, it's a uh, You, bring, you come back to private, that, which yeah. allows you to make uh, uh, private swift... With, uh, with, with fewer vocal investors. Yeah, and that's then right. you can make decisions, that's right. you can pivot, you can change, but, and then you can relaunch. Is that helping China, by the way, on that theory? Is that help China? But the other parallel I want to draw, again, knowing that time is drawing near, so... Uh, Polaroid was the Apple of its era in many ways. Yeah. And, in fact, Steve Jobs 
did come, oh, and you've told me the story over the years, oh. did come to meet with uh, Dr. Land. You've said that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, as a, and he was a mentor of sorts to Steve Jobs. Twice, but, twice they met. Uh, twice, and, and uh, uh, to Mark's point, Jobs held Land in enormously high esteem, which is unusual because Jobs wasn't that type of person. But there are many, many parallels between the two. They were both visionaries, to be sure. Yeah. Land in a different era. By the way, Land, by, by the way, Land, Edwin Land, was advisor to seven U.S. presidents, by the way. Mm. Seven U.S. presidents. And he played a, a crucial role in a lot of the the spy, the U-2 spy stuff right. that went on right. in, in the 50s. Yep. By, you know, because he, he, he yeah. and, the, and Polaroid at the time... Came up with high resolution films that were the used. U2s were these uh, large airplanes. strategic airplanes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. right. They needed to take high resolution right. pictures from long, exactly. long distance, right. flying Precisely. over the Soviet Union. Right. Yeah. So, so and, and land, not the band. And, yeah, not the band. <laughs> yeah, not the band. <laughs> not, not the band. <laughs> and, and you know, uh, when you talk about the intersection of art and science, which of course Jobs used to articulate very well, that started with Land. Land was yeah. Polaroid was 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 built. To, to really focus on the intersection of art and science. Well, I was hoping you were going to say the Roland Institute was the keyboard, but it wasn't. No, no. <laughs> it spelled differently. But the point, the other point I wanted to make very offer up very quickly. So you've got you know the Apple Polaroid parallel. Uh, Apple successfully made the pivot from one business and one business model, obviously to the, uh, to an entirely different model based around the iPhone, iPad, and all of that. And so they they've actually transitioned a little bit. And I think, you know, uh, knowing a little bit about the Polaroid story, you know, they, they were able to uh, transition where management was sort of stuck and also preserving not only stock prices but the personal comforts that yes. that, that right. That's generation right. of, uh, you know, non, of, of non-old-timers that were mm. brought in. Mm. Um, so is so, it a people's story? So spending. spending. Is it, is yeah, it, yeah. It's a people's story. At the end of the day, it's people who make companies succeed or fail or Absolutely. pivot or survive. AI won't yeah. be any better. So for what we so know. will AI? Can AI uh, save the Polaroid? <laughs> no. Yeah. no. AI is going to take everybody's job away. So That's let me happen, let me yeah. propose this. Give us a last word. We're at uh, we're at an hour six minutes and twenty six seconds. Ziad looks like he's ready to run out the door. Mark's running out of water. Give us a last word on on wrapping up of failures and how they can be avoided or. Capitalized on. Failure is a part of success. Failure is a part of innovation. The important thing is to note the failures, not repeat them, learn from them. That's how you learn. And that's what I would say. And that's a wrap. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're welcome.